whether the other members besides Japan are, are supportive of this, uh, I, I would think that there's going to be some significant hurdles there. Some countries might say this is too political. It's just not worth our interest uh, to antagonize China by agreeing for Taiwan to enter. And before you go, let me just get your thoughts on the news today about this new security arrangement between the US, the UK and Australia, which the Chinese government has condemned. What do you make of that? Well, the submarine program in Australia has been fraught with uh, disputes and concerns over uh, local content uh, versus French content, uh, the cost. Uh, it's gone through several gov- the hands of several governments in Australia. Uh, so I think this announcement, uh, we, we should be looking at the reaction uh, from the public in Australia, of course, opposition politicians in Australia, uh, the government of France as well, and the potential timelines for this to become a reality. It's still going to be a long ways away, which means there's still it's still subject to significant change, uh, but, but there are a lot of uh, constituencies and stakeholders that are involved in this, and uh, it's certainly going to be uh, not just political, uh, but, but obviously a foreign relations issue as well, especially with regard to Australia's relationship with China. Ross, thanks very much indeed. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group over in Taipei. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Asian stock markets are trending higher this morning. The SX200 in Australia up half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is up 0.1%. The Cosby in South Korea flat at the moment. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 80 points or so at the open later on this morning. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil slipping a little bit at $75.33 a barrel. Gold oil's off slightly at $1,794 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned to back for back chats with Jim Gordon and Andrew Work in just a moment. The weather forecast for today: mainly cloudy, hot with sunny periods, maximum temperature around 32 degrees, and then the outlook: hot with sunny periods and isolated showers in the next couple of days. It's 29 degrees right now, 81% relative humidity. It's 8:32. Here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. A doctor says it's still worthwhile for teenagers to get one BioNTech jab, as this offers broader community protection against the coronavirus. Loan Team Fan, the vice president of the Hong Kong College of Pediatricians, was commenting after an expert panel advised the government that adolescents should only get one jab because more than 30 had suffered heart inflammation as a side effect, usually after the second dose. Dr. Leung said that he would still recommend a a single dose for children, even though children usually only suffered mild cases of COVID-19. I would say still yes, because um, I think the protection is not only to the uh, adolescents. It's true that um, children and adolescents, they tend to have um, a very mild disease when they get COVID, but then they will spread the case around, they spread the infection around in the school or in the family. And then we may have other susceptible uh, members in the school or family who, if they get a disease, they will have more serious outcome. So I think vaccination, even if one dose, is better than um, no vaccination. The Chinese embassy in Washington has reacted to a new security pact announced by the United States, Britain and Australia, saying that countries should shake off their Cold War mentality and ideological prejudice. The three countries say the deal will involve building submarines for the Australian Navy. They say the agreement will be vital to defending their shared interests in the Indo-Pacific region. The Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, spoke at the launch. Our world is becoming more complex, especially here in our region, the Indo-Pacific. This affects us all. 
The future of the Indo-Pacific will impact all our futures. To meet these challenges, to help deliver the security and stability our region needs, we must now take our partnership to a new level. The White House says President Biden has complete confidence in the leadership of the most senior U.S. military officer, Mark Miley, who's been accused of treason by Donald Trump. A new book said General Miley was worried the former president might order a military strike against China and twice secretly called his opposite number in Beijing to reassure him. The White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, said General Miley would continue to serve. The president uh, has complete confidence in his leadership, his patriotism, and his fidelity to our Constitution. I can't speak to the former president's uh, experience with him or the former president's views of him. But the, this president, this current president, uh, who follows the Constitution, who's not fomenting an insurrection, who follows the rule of law, has complete confidence in Chairman Milley and him serving, continuing to serve in his role. And finally, the first space mission crewed entirely by civilians is due to take off from Cape Canaveral in Florida shortly. Four amateur astronauts will blast into orbit on board a SpaceX rocket. The trip has been paid for by one of the crew, Jared Isaacman, a billionaire businessman. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Jim. On today's Back Chat, we're talking about a matter that most of us will face at some stage, retirement. And later on, the National Games. It's being reported that the hospital authority plans to extend the retirement age for all staff from 60 to 65 in an attempt to retain manpower. It said employees will still have the option to retire at 60 if they prefer, and the new arrangement will not affect career prospects. The proposal could be discussed at the authorities' board meeting uh, next week on September the 23rd. What do you think of the plan? Would this help to solve the shortage of medical staff? And what about staff in other sectors, both public and private? Should there be a standard retirement age across the working population? After 9.15, we're discussing the National Games, as Hong Kong now has uh, three medals already. Can we expect more? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And joining us uh, this morning, we have uh, on the line um, Cyrus Lau, who's a registered nurse and officer of uh, the Hong Kong Allied Health Professionals and Nurses Association, and also Dr. Pan Pei Chow, Chairman of the Hong Kong Medical and Healthcare Staff General Union. Um, good morning to you both. Uh, perhaps um, Cyrus Lau first, uh, uh, if I could ask you. Um, so would you be in favour of this potential change? Uh, hello, everybody. I'm Cyrus Lau. I'm a registered nurse in hospital authority. Yeah. To, uh, to some extent, this kind of measure would likely to retain some of our colleagues within the public sector. But this measure, uh, to me, at least, is uh, practical, but not practical, uh, practical, but not practicable. Because there are not many frontline colleagues who work till their retirement age. They will leave the hospital authority uh, in between or well uh, long before their retirement age such as uh, education purpose, uh, family purpose, or some other personal matters. And 
simply extending the retirement age to 65 uh, will not be that useful in retaining the medical personnel in our public sector. Hmm. But wouldn't it go some way to making it more attractive uh, to stay in the public sector? Uh, as all we know, the public sector is very busy and the waiting time is very long. And the working environment has never been improved mm. since I was a uh, uh, student nurse. Until now, the working environment at work is still very overcrowded and poor. Yeah. And I guess this would be the main cause for driving our colleagues out. And the uh, working pressure within the public sector is tremendously uh, intense. So, so when you say many, I, I have to admit, whenever I've been to a hospital, uh, you don't see a lot of nurses that look like they're in their late 50s. And I mean, I know Hong Kong women are fantastically well-preserved, but what, do we have statistics on that? How many actually make it to retirement age? When you say not many, like, do half make it to the retirement age or like 10% or, or you know, do you have numbers? Yeah, I, I can make a bold guess. Around uh, less than one third must be. Wow, less uh, than one third. That's quite unusual yes, for the civil service. Yes, yes, because uh, some of our colleagues will have their uh, career planning, uh, such as uh, for those who bearing children, they will leave hospital authority for uh, family consideration, mm. especially for female staff. Okay, uh, I, I mean the professional grade, such as nurses. Okay, so I mean, it, it's it's kind of uh, you know, it almost sounds like being a, uh, a flight attendant now. Is you you know, kind of you don't see a lot of people aging out in the in the profession. So I can see your point. Uh, and where do do some of them go to the private sector? Uh, private sector, I don't have uh, uh, much PSA to make a guess on extending the age can be effective in maintaining the manpower mm. in the front line. Yeah, but. Well, I mean, I mean, how many how many leave nursing in the private in the public hospital system to go to private clinics and things like that? I imagine you know wor working a uh, standard working hours in a private clinic is probably a lot less stressful than working you know in long term care or emergency care in a in a hospital. Uh, actually, our staff experiencing a large working care in the public sector. That's why I think extending the retirement age to sixty five could not be effectively retain our personnel. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, sorry, the the line connections are, are not particularly good. Maybe we can uh, uh, try it again and see if we can get a better connection. But uh, in the meantime, uh, uh, Dr. Pan Pei Chow, good morning to you. Good morning. So, do you think this change uh, extending the retirement age to sixty five will help to retain uh, staff in the hospital authority? Um, personally, I think that uh, it can uh, it will uh, be helpful, right? But on the other hand. Uh, uh, I think uh, 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 that uh, the effect may not be too big, right? Because right now, uh, many uh, say public hospital uh, health workers, right? Uh, they have they they may not work up to retirement age, right? And uh, because there are various uh, considerations, for example, some people say may go into other sectors. Right, some go into the private uh, sector to work, and some uh, uh, say because they they leave because of their family situation. Right, maybe temporarily. Right? When their children grow up, they may return to the workforce. 
so I think we uh, we have to look at the situation more carefully. But certainly, for people who have uh, who are approaching retirement age, because they have worked there for so long, and uh, they if they are happy with the with the working environment, they may uh, like to have uh, a few more years to work. Uh, before they uh, formally retire. So for this group of people, then this new scheme can certainly help. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's, you know, obviously not everybody wants to work beyond the uh, the medical age. It sounds like nurses are, are, are getting out of the game or whether they're, they're gracefully exiting or whether they're burning out of the profession uh, younger. Now, are, but, but how about doctors? I mean, uh, we're, we're short on doctors in Hong Kong. You know, we've got a fantastically, we've got, we've got a system that's famous for limiting the entrance of non-Hong Kong trained doctors into Hong Kong. Um, how much is this going to help? I mean, don't most doctors work till their mandatory retirement age? Um, I think that there there is actually a group of uh, doctors who work till retirement. Right, mm-hmm. uh, I myself is uh, one of them. Right, so right. Uh, but uh, say the, but there are uh, a lot of uh, doctors who prefer right, to go uh, private. Right, mm-hmm. uh, maybe for the income, maybe for the less stressful work situation. Sure. Uh, so I think the proportion of doctors that uh, work till retirement is uh, fairly low, right? I would say maybe something in the range of uh, 10 to 20 percent, right? Right. Uh, so for this group of people, they, uh, again, the same consideration is now if they are approaching uh, retirement, then uh, because they have uh, they. They have stayed on right on on, uh, on their job in the public hospital, so that means that they are probably uh, happy or satisfied with their working conditions and the job satisfaction from seeing a wide range of patients. Uh, so for them, right, uh, if you offer a term uh, to work longer, then many of them may accept. Right, but again, there are people who have planned uh, for all these years to to retire and have something else to do or some other commitments. Right. And are there automatic pay raises in the hospital authority system? I mean, is this this going to be a big burden in terms of uh, how much we're spending on doctors at the higher end of the system? And and will it limit the number of younger doctors that can come in at the other end? I mean, if we're we're paying so much, you know, I mean, if we're having to give people automatic pay increases, they stay for another five years, they're already at the top of the scale. And then we don't have money to hire new younger doctors coming in. Yes, I think that that is something that we have to consider, right? Because um, these people who are, say, uh, reaching the retirement age, right, they usually they have high pay, right? So uh, this will mean extra burden on, on the, say, uh, financially, right, for the hospital authority. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I, I don't have the figures, right, as such. Looking beyond the public health sector, I mean, what do you think about the principle of requiring people to retire just because they reach a certain age, whether it's 60, 65 or whatever? Um, I mean, quite often, I mean, 60 or, or even 65 is no longer old. I mean, people are living a lot longer, uh, more, they, they retain a lot of experience that they've built up over the years, physically fit. Yes. Uh, this is a very interesting, uh, uh, say, uh, question, right? Um, I think in the private uh, sector, I mean, uh, there's uh, virtually no uh, formal retirement age, right? I know that, say, for some of the private hospitals, they have uh, nurses who work well into their, say, uh, even early 70s, right? Uh, 
so they're still working. Uh, same for doctors. I mean, uh, many of my teachers, right? So they're, I think they are in their 80s, right? So they're yeah. still working, right? So yeah. I think that the provider that they, 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 they continue to have a sharp mind with good hands and they can still serve their patients. Um, so I think it's really uh, for uh, for the help uh, for the health profession. I mean, there's definitely uh, the benefit of say uh, getting more clinical experience. Uh, if the doctors, they uh, the nurses, the professionals, they continue to improve their knowledge, right, up, update their knowledge, then certainly they can uh, have a lot to offer to to uh, to the. Uh, to the population, to the people. Who, who measures? Who measures whether or not, as you say, they've still got you know good hands and, and a keen eye and, and a sharp mind? Who is there any? Is okay. there anybody that keeps track of that? I mean, like in, in a lot of countries now, after a certain age, you have to go back and get tested every year to retain your driver's license. But how do we? How do we know if our doctors and nurses and other medical staff are still uh, still sharp enough? You know, say going into yeah. the seventies. No. Uh, first of all, I, I really I, I think that this is an issue that we need to look at, right? Because uh, say uh, as more people work into old age, then certainly uh, we need to have a mechanism right to uh, verify that whether they are still uh, competent and fit to to practice, right? But at this stage, uh, what we have is uh, say for most of the for all the specialties, right? Uh, Specialists have to uh, gain uh, sufficient uh, continuous medical education points, right? Mm-hmm. So this is uh, this is something. But I think apart from that, maybe we need to look at something else. Now, for the public sector, the hospital authority say offers uh, some uh, short-term, so some contracts, right, for people who are retired, let's say part-time work, and uh, up to a certain age. Uh, say doctors have to undergo uh, physical checkup uh, annually before their contract is extended. Mm. Right. So that that is something which is useful. Uh, yeah, I think I think that should be done uh, sort of in a more systematic way. Should should be. So it's not being done now. And and is it specialized? I mean, if you're a doctor who's an ear, nose, throat guy, just having a, having a peek inside, that maybe maybe they want to test your eyes. But if you're doing surgery, wouldn't they want to test your fine motor skills? I think that that's a reasonable, reasonable uh, expectation. Yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, we have a message here on our Facebook from Henry on this uh, subject. Uh, given the appalling situation of patients queuing, postponing retirement age for doctors is long overdue. Many doctors past the retirement age are fit and proper to practice medicine. Examples: the late Dr. Li Xu Poi of Hong Kong Sanatorium, an ear, nose, and throat specialist continued performing surgical operations until the age of 77 and ran an outpatient clinic uh, until well into his 90s. My cousin, a psychiatrist, is still practising at age 75. Henry Fan, head of the hospital authority, has recently proposed patients queuing in HA clinics could get medical attention in Shenzhen and this could help patients get earlier attention. He said even if there are queues in Shenzhen, the queues would be shorter. The point is uh, solve the problem and interim solutions should be explored and not let the problem get bigger and bigger while debating without end. 
uh, just like the Nike logo, just do it. Not sure of the point of discussing this. The conclusion must be very clear. Overwhelming approval. Um, would you agree with that, uh, Dr Pan? Do you think there'd be overwhelming public approval to uh, uh, extend the retirement age? Um, no, I, I, I can't uh, just say that, uh, say, uh, uh, I mean, out of my head, right, but... I think certainly when we serve, uh, when we uh, say consulted, uh, say uh, members uh, in, in our trade union, uh, uh, that uh, the overall response is that uh, they welcome this change. But these are healthcare workers, right? So how about the general public? I haven't heard about uh, any objection to that. But I think the the concern that you raise is uh, is very valid, right? How do we know that, uh, say, uh, older uh, healthcare workers are, are fit to practice? There must be uh, a way, right, to uh, give the public some reassurance that when they go to see, uh, say, uh, a doctor and uh, say uh, with a lot of grey hair, then this person uh, has more. Uh, say under under the gray hair. In other words, it has a lot of knowledge stored inside. So um, I think that this is something that we need to look at systematically, right? Mm. Not to make, not to say subject these people to say uh, say like like graduation examinations, right? That, but at least something that uh, uh, helps us to to feel sure that uh, this person is still capable of making sound judgment based on his uh, rich knowledge. So uh, I think we should, uh, as a profession, as professions, uh, we should uh, look at that, right? But okay. also, people say, even say, uh, uh, more basic rate uh, of uh, workers. I, I think they also need to have some form of physical checkup. Say, for example, even say support staff, right? Because nowadays they are also doing a lot of, uh, say, uh, high skilled, highly skilled uh, tasks. I think there should be some form of assessment. Uh, maybe on the job assessment, right, or maybe, say, by a peer uh, uh, audit, right, saying uh, to, to, to know that this person is uh, doing things properly, right? So that mm. may be something that we need to, need to examine. Yeah. Okay, um, I think we have Cyrus Lau back. Hello? Hello. Yeah, yeah. Th thanks for rejoining us. Uh, um, so earlier on, you were saying that you didn't think this change would um, make much of a difference necessarily to retaining staff. Um, in that case, um, what needs to be done to uh, keep staff at the hospital authority? Uh, the hospital authority need to seriously improve the working environment for our frontline medical professional, because, as I said earlier. The working environment is still that poor and overcrowded when I was a student nurse. Same overcrowding level. And uh, morale is very low and within our public sector. As I said, the so how do you, working pressure. How, how do you do that? How do, how do you reduce the overcrowding and the working pressure? But what, would that would that not uh, be uh, to the disadvantage of the public? I mean, if if, if people yeah. are sick, they need treating, don't they? Yes, yes. yes. We need to balance the risk and benefit of such matter. But mm. if we if the 
healthcare environment is overcrowded, it will not be that beneficial to our patient as well. The overcrowding environment will uh, inevitably increase the risk of infection within the hospital acquired infections. That will not be that good for our patient at the same time. So what's required? Um, more space, more, more, more wards, more beds, more staff? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but, but the, but the um, management seems back to our prayer for years in improving our working environment. And, make, uh, and there's still much room for our manpower allocation within the acute ward setting. Of, of Hong Kong nurses uh, graduating from the, the nursing schools in Hong Kong, how many of them are offered jobs with the hospital authority? Uh, uh, you mean the number of nurses in the hospital authority? I mean, I mean, from when you if you if you go to a nursing school in Hong Kong when you graduate, there, is everybody pretty much guaranteed a job with the hospital authority, or is it just a select few that that get hired by the hospital authority? What where do, where do these people end up? I mean, are we are we desperate? Do we need to open up a new nursing school and and have many more nurses, or are we graduating people that don't get jobs? What's the situation there? Gotcha. So if you graduate, if you graduate, so the point I'm trying to make is if you graduate from a nursing school, are you pretty much guaranteed yeah. a job with the hospital authority if you want it? Uh, not, not really guaranteed, but you need to apply for the job. Okay. Own, but it is uh, quite easy for you to, to get a job if you are graduated with the professional license. Right. Okay. That, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is that they're, they're, so they're taking everybody that's coming in, but then they're, then they're bleeding them off at the other end. Do we, do we need to be taking more nurses from abroad then? I've heard that a lot of the ones that did, did come through didn't last long in Hong Kong because of the language issues. They, they just couldn't handle the Cantonese. Yes, and there is a, some variance in a local practice, maybe, yeah. uh, that would account for the such low passing rate yeah. in the examination. Yeah, we, we would pretty much only be able to recruit from Guangdong province, yeah? Uh, maybe. I mean... Is there some? Is there something wrong with the exams? I mean, these are people that are already these are people that, that are already registered nurses in other jurisdictions. Yes, and they can't exactly. and they can't pass the exam here. What's going on? Uh, maybe I guess some of the applicants may not be that familiar with our local practice mm -hmm. because we have three aspects to be examined, such as effectively the administration of medication and health assessment. Uh, you need to pass all three items in order to get the professional license. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be 
bit difficult to pass or in one time, actually. Mm. Uh, Dr. Pan, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, meaning uh, why the, say, uh, overseas trained yeah. uh, nurses have, uh, have a lower passing, yeah. low passing rate. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, now, um, for, uh, well, maybe not just for nurses, right, but also for doctors uh, and other professionals, I think um, every, uh, say, place, right, has its own uh, standard uh, practice. Uh, the standard practice may not be universal in the sense that, uh, say, uh, people from other countries will do the same, right? Uh, for example, especially, say, in my specialty, uh, psychiatry, uh, it has a very strong cultural element. So I've noticed that, uh, say, um, some quite, quite a few, say, doctors who are trained uh, in the mainland, for example, and who got the licentiate examination and they uh, get training in uh, in our centers for, for to, to be a specialist psychiatrist. They have difficulty passing the local examination. Uh, I, uh, I have tried to help these people and I found that um, their way of, uh, say, conceptualizing the patient's problem and formulate uh, treatment uh, Maybe a bit different from, mm. say, what mm. we do locally. Yeah. So I think that uh, so there's a quite a strong, say, a local component, right, for all professional examinations. Mm-hmm. So that may be the explanation. So okay. that, that might suggest okay. when the government says people go across the border for their medical health, it might not okay. be so simple, okay. huh? Okay. Okay. Thanks. Well, uh, we're going to have to break for the news summary at nine o'clock. Uh, do get in touch. Uh, leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Three. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call, 233 uh, Quick look uh, at the weather. It's going to be uh, mainly cloudy, uh, hot with sunny periods during the day, a top temperature of around 32 degrees, isolated showers and thunderstorms later, moderate westerly winds. The outlook hot with sunny periods and isolated showers in the next couple of days. It's currently 29 degrees, humidity 80%. And welcome back to Backchat with Andrew Work and me, Jim Gould. And uh, this morning we're talking about uh, the age of retirement. Um, Later on we'll be looking at the National Games. Um, And before we introduce our next guest, uh, is an email here from Alonso, which uh, I didn't have time to read out yesterday, which uh, relates to a topic that we were talking about um, earlier in the week. And... Alonso says uh, the government website shows that local daily vaccination numbers uh, yesterday tumbled to a mere 8,205, the lowest level since early April, and a very sharp decline from the 30 to 35,000 levels we were witnessing a month ago. In the absence of a rebound in vaccination take-up, Hong Kong may struggle to reach 70% this year. What is the government doing to address the slumping vax numbers? Why doesn't it consider a vaccine mandate? At the very least, the government should offer carrots to the unvaccinated, such as additional $5,000 compensation vouchers if they get double jabbed before year end, with a larger amount for the vulnerable elderly groups. Uh, That from Alonso, and that's a subject we will be returning to at some point, no doubt, in the near future. Um, We're joined uh, on the line now by Vera Yoon, who's a lecturer at the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning to you. Good morning, Vera Yoon. 
Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, so talking about um, retirement, um, first of all, um, is it reasonable that, uh, this is a question we put to our guests earlier, that um, that employees should be required to retire just because they reach a certain age, whether it's 60 or 65 or whatever? Well, um, there's a difference between official retirement age and real retirement age. So it's found that in many of the developed countries, except maybe South Korea, um, the real retirement age is lower than the official one, which means usually... Although there is an official line that is that um, people choose to retire a bit earlier, maybe two to three years or five years. Okay. And w sorry, what, what's, the, what's the exception in South Korea? Uh, people work until 70 years old, even though maybe they, they could officially retire earlier. But for the other Western, you know, European countries, they often retire earlier than the official retirement age. So um, I am not sure about the hospital authority, whether they require them to retire at certain age or it's just an official one. If it's just an official one, you can always choose to retire a bit earlier. Mm. Well, I think uh, typically with a lot of I think with a lot of the government organizations, they have a mandatory retirement age at 60. But then you have, you know, sometimes they'll hire you back on contract. And I think it's a way of limiting expenditure because. You know, in the civil service, if people are guaranteed pay raises throughout their career, if you extend the if you extend the employment age, you know, it's a big whack to your budget. Well, this is true. I think many of the civil servants nowadays they are asked to work um, um, in temporary contract or fixed contract because they actually do not have enough manpower, and they prefer people who were working with different government departments than people outside. So. Actually, there's a demand for um, retired workers. But, um, yeah, I think for the expenses, it is uh, one thing because they have better packages um, if they work within the retirement age. But after the retirement age, the package will be cut. So this yeah. act of extending retirement age well, is an act to retain manpower. But I think as a whole, the society should move towards um, higher retirement age, um, whether it's private or public, because um, human has longer life expectancy and 60 years old retire is like, is like too early. Because in like, maybe in 1970s or 1980s, um, the life expectancy is about like 72, 73. So you only have 10 years or so retirement uh, years to live, but now if you retire at 60, you probably live until 80 or even 90. So there's also stress of where to get your retirement fund, like how do you have enough saving if you do not extend your working life, but you're like having longer retire years. So I think to solve radically um, the problem of how to finance retirement life, um, like the general solution is to work longer and also to raise the retirement age. And I suggest actually in the long run, it should be at least 70 because 70. Um, um, humans are living longer. Yeah, and it, it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, the original pensions were introduced, I believe, Biz under Bismarck in Germany when, you know, at the age of 60, because people are like, why do we have these numbers 60, 65? It started with Bismarck in Germany. and Because if, if you made it to 60 years old, it was like a miracle, so you got a state pension. But now, I mean, you know, there's the question of uh, the blow to state finances. There's also the question of purpose. I mean, what do you do for 25, 30 years? I mean, <laughs> you know, just hanging around, you know, if you're not working. I mean, is it yeah, 
humans become healthier, so um, and then we have less um, um, manual work or physical work. We have more intelligent work, work that does not require you to be physically strong. So um, we are perfectly capable to extend the years. It's just for for the question of um, pension. Um, that's why there are many um, pension reform in Western European countries because um, they couldn't finance um, their uh, consented um, rates of um, pensions because it, it kind of inflate with, or you know, the promised rates over the years it would accumulate to a really large amount and there won't be enough for the next generation to finance. So I think for the new civil servant, they have changed it to like. Um, defined contribution. So you get back a sum of funds that you have and then if you um, and then you distribute it across the years and it becomes an annuity. But the base is like how much you have contributed rather than, you know, um, it's just defined benefit that uh, you can get certain amount until you die and then it, it bursts it burdens the state a lot. So sure. I think yeah. that system has to be changed instead of saying, oh, because it's too expensive, so let's not extend it. So if HA um, knows how to do it, it's actually um, you allow them to work longer, but um, it's the pension benefit that um, should not go with it. But usually because the institution is already set and they would expect it, you know, to extend. Yeah, so Western European countries are always trying to, to raise their retirement age because, uh, like you say, for consideration of the effect of uh, uh, pension payments um, on mm. national economies. But we don't really have that consideration in Hong Kong because there's, there is no universal pension. Um, so do you yeah. think, uh, is, so does that lessen the pressure to do something about the situation? Um, I think that is within um, the hospital authority that um, they they have manpower problem and try to retain them um, without letting them go. Um, but then it's just in general, it should be raised. I think for some European countries, they do not raise it like uh, suddenly from 60 to 65. They do it um, over a longer time. Like let's raise um, three years over 15 years um, in, in that way. So uh, I think gradually all public and private uh, companies should extend the retirement age. And there's a problem of, um, you know, for private sector, uh, they may not be able to buy insurance for an older worker, and it makes them very unemployable. But then some of them still want to work. Uh, some of them, because of the not very generous social security, they they still need some income. Sure. So maybe I think if all public bodies can gradually extend the retirement age, it could set an example so other private companies can follow. I mean, it, it definitely seems more urgent in some sectors than others, like where we're, we have a shortage of staff in the, you know, for example, in the medical sector. But I mean, if you're looking at something like welfare or mostly administrative departments, you know, you've got a lot of very expensive people doing not very demanding jobs or n not exactly. even intellectually demanding. Well, um, yeah, so that's why different sectors, they have different schedules. Um, in some sectors, they actually want the older ones to get away quicker. So they don't want to raise the retirement age so that the more productive younger people can do more of the roles. So they have different consideration, and that's why we do not have 
really a universal phrasing um, of the retirement age. Well, newly recruited uh, civil servants can now work until the age of 65 and, uh, and police officers until 60. So uh, we're moving in the right direction. Yes, I think so. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think we can actually expect more of people in terms of maintaining maintaining their health later in, into later years. I mean, uh, without without giving any specific numbers, because it would uh, would be the end of me. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my my wife and comparing her to my 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 mother and her mother at the same age. And I mean, you know, my wife plays tennis almost every day and took up kickboxing this year. Okay. So I got to you know, I got to watch myself at home. That's be again, careful. again, why I'm not divulging the exact age, because the kickboxing might come into play. I'd be in big trouble. But um, but I mean, you can't expect, for example, a police officer, you know, to be able to say, well, well, you know, I've kind of let myself go or whatever. Um, you know, they could be expected to be like, hey, no, you're 50. That's that's not an excuse to not be able to pass the, the mandatory physical. you got to get out there and work it. Yeah, that's, that's true. But um, according to, I think, World Bank, um, the finding of human health is like people do not become, um, when, when they live longer, I mean, the last few years is the years that you have highest medical expense. Sure. But, yeah, but you do not get unhealthy for living longer. You just delay the last five years to later age, which means um, you you were healthier for the longer years that you live. Yeah. So it, it's actually okay to live longer, and I actually advocate for your for your wife's problem. Um, I advocate a higher retirement age for women because we have longer life expectancy, and from the idea of pension, we need to work longer mm-hmm. um, to accumulate more savings um, for our retirement. But in reality, usually women may, you know, they retire earlier and, and that's the reverse. And also because we, um, family responsibilities, um, gender setting, etc., has delayed our career development. We need somewhat longer time to reach the same position as men. So um, I don't think raising um, the official retirement Retirement age of women is the best thing. Yeah. I mean, they can always choose to retire earlier. But uh, for European um, uh, situation, if you raise their official retirement age, the real retirement age will kind of go together, uh, although it's still a little bit earlier than the official one. So it, it would be good for women to work longer. I know many women who want to work longer, but they are forced to retire. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's good. It's always good for people to have options. I mean, is there is there any threat of the, the common uh, kind of uh, retire or kind of posting for elderly people in Hong Kong would be probably taxi driving and security guard. And are the, are those still viable channels for people that want to uh, take a little bit less demanding work? Yes, um, still there are very very old people who work in these um, industries. Although nowadays they have younger uh, security and, and that kind of thing. And I think for the next generation, because we become more educated as a whole, the population. So there's a, um, a lot of um, less demanding jobs like, you know, consultant, like, you know, jobs that you don't have to work so many hours a day. And then and then so it's like you're working half time, but you're enjoying your life. So I think for um, World Bank, the active aging vision is that um, retirement is not like only leisure and, and doing nothing hanging around, but it's like finding something you're passionate about that, that you can find meanings in life. And also they're not inactive. So we would want more opportunities for them, whether it's voluntary work or paid jobs. 
So mm. in different European countries, they, they kind of mm. fix the work structure and try to create this kind of opportunity. Uh, we the um, elder, elderly, they serve in the tourist board and, you know, to talk about the local uh, culture and stories to the tourists and they work a few hours a day and they find it very meaningful um, you know, to just tell others about a uh, neighborhood they live, the community they live. You know, that kind of job is very good for, um, you know, uh, older people. But it's like, um, where a different industry can structure such kind of job opportunities is, is another issue. Okay, okay. Well, thanks very much for speaking to us on the program this morning. Uh, that was uh, Vera Yoon there, who's a lecturer at the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, thank you to our guest uh, before nine o'clock, uh, Cyrus uh, Lau, who's a registered nurse and uh, officer of the uh, Hong Kong Allied Health Professionals and Nurses Association, and also to Dr. Pan Pei Chow, uh, chairman of the Hong Kong Medical and Healthcare Staff General Union. And we're turning our attention for the remainder of the programme uh, this morning to the National Games, because uh, uh, President Xi Jinping has formally opened the 14th National Games uh, after an opening ceremony at the Xi'an Olympic Centre Stadium in Shanxi Province. Uh, the Games uh, pit teams from the nation's provinces, municipalities and autonomous regions, along with Hong Kong and Macau, against each other in uh, virtually all of the Olympic sports and the martial art of wushu. Uh, events already began before uh, the ceremony with Hong Kong picking up a gold and two bronze medals so far in cycling. Um, we're joined now on the line by Young Tak Kung, uh, Commissioner of for Sports. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. I should also add, of course, that the games are being shown on RTHK TV. Oh. So, um, yeah, so after the success of the Hong Kong team at the Tokyo Olympics uh, and the interest in the Paralympics, um, would you expect that level of interest to uh, continue into the national games? Yeah, I think um, uh, the Hong Kong General Republic, they, um, they have watched the Olympics and the Paralympics and the national games, uh, well, uh, officially opened yesterday. So and it will be broadcast uh, on on TV. So I think uh, it will attract a lot of interest, and uh, I'm sure that it will continue the, uh, people's interest in sports and uh, support for our athletes as well. And Commissioner Young, you you have some news for us today as well, don't you? Sorry. You have some news for us today, don't you? Some news. Um, 2025. Sorry. About 2025. You have some news for us about 2025. Uh, the, oh. the, yeah, the, the venue okay. for the uh, games, the well, venue for the next games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. about the 225, uh, it was announced uh, more than two weeks ago by the, uh, uh, by the Central uh, People's Government. Mm -hmm. And uh, Hong Kong, together with Guangdong and uh, Macau, will co-host the uh, next national games in four years' time. So it's uh, great news for Hong Kong. It's uh, uh, you know, great for uh, the, the further development of sports because... The National Games is the uh, biggest uh, sports event uh, of the country. So we are proud to be given the opportunity to host this uh, great event. Fantastic. And, and what are we going to be hosting in Hong Kong? Has that been determined yet? Uh, not yet, because um, as I said, uh, we will co-host the event with uh, Macau and Guangdong. So we need to discuss with, uh, with uh, uh, the, the two governments and also with uh, the uh, National uh, uh, General Administration of Sports. 
Um, so uh, it's too early to say uh, what events Hong Kong will hold at this stage. But of course, uh, in considering uh, the, the events uh, that uh, can be held in Hong Kong, we will uh, look into uh, say uh, what um, what uh, facilities we have and uh, and what experience we have in hosting uh, you know a major sports event. So with the existing sports facilities in Hong Kong and also uh, the Kitex Sports Park that, that will be completed in two years' time, we are confident that uh, we uh, we have the facilities and the uh, capability to host quite a number of events. But uh, we need to discuss with the uh, our, our counterparts uh, to decide uh, what events will be will be held in Hong Kong, in Macau, and in Guangdong. So, yeah, if you had to pick your top three for, the, for Hong Kong, I mean, we got the Velodrome, you know, Equestrian, we, we hosted during the Olympics. What, what do you think our top three things are based on, on when you look at the, we'll say facilities either now or in the pipeline, where Hong Kong and, could really make a strong pitch? Yeah, well, um, you mentioned the Velodrome, because uh, it's a, uh, you know, uh, it's a world-class facility that uh, we have uh, well, we have held um several world champ before, so um, definitely we have the experience to hold a uh, large-scale event. And also uh, in Kitex Sports Park, we have a main stadium, we have an indoor sports center. Um, that will be uh, the uh, that will be good facilities for uh, sports event as well. And in the main stadium and in the indoor sports center, we can hold uh, football, rugby, uh, table tennis and badminton. So there are a lot of possibilities. And uh, our uh, experience uh, in because uh, before the COVID-19, we have many, many uh, MR events, what we call the major sports events, uh, in, uh, say, in table tennis, in badminton, in rugby seven. So um, we, we, there's a lot of possibilities, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that we can reach a good discussion and uh, reach a, uh, an agreement with the uh, uh, Macau and Guangdong government. Like you say, the, the games are held every four years. Uh, the, the, the last games in 2017, um, Hong Kong athletes won uh, two gold, seven silver and seven bronze medals. Um, what do you think are our chances this time around? The national games is always very competitive. And uh, this year, um, well, uh, we have already won one gold and two bronze. Yeah. Um, so we expect uh, our uh, other, other teams, other Hong Kong teams, will uh, do well in the national games. But um, this year, uh, because of COVID-19 and because of the uh, uh, health uh, precautionary measures um, and the uh, quarantine uh, period required, uh, because all the athletes, they uh, participate in the games, they need to do 21 days uh, quarantine. And some of our teams and, uh, and uh, some individual athletes, uh, they, they uh, cannot go. So uh, compared with last time, uh, the number of athletes participating in the national games this year uh, actually is less than uh, four years ago. Mm. So um, uh, it's really difficult to predict uh, the results. Uh, but um, uh, I, I, well, we, we can only guarantee that our athletes will, will do their best. Okay. Uh, yeah, um, I, I, I have a question for you, uh, Mr. Young. I'm just curious about this because, um, so the opening ceremony was held last night, um, but the games had already started several days prior to that. The same thing happens with the Olympics. There are always uh, events before the opening ceremony. Um, why is that? It's always like that uh, because the big games, uh, like uh, the Olympics, they have 34 events, and uh, the uh, national games, they have 35. Because uh, the national games, basically, they have all the Olympic Games events plus uh, Wushu. So, uh, 
so they they want one more, and because there are so many events, so uh, they cannot put everything within uh, the twelve day period. So some of the events are are always held before the official opening. Um, it's um, even more uh, uh, it's more like that in the national games than the Olympics, because in the national games uh, this time. Uh, although many events are held in uh, uh, Xi'an, uh, in the uh, province of uh, Shanxi, but uh, actually uh, many events are held uh, in different cities of the provinces. So uh, because of the scale of the of the national games and the number of events, it's necessary to hold some of the events before the opening. So it's always like that. Every national game is like that. Mm. Okay, yeah, gotcha. so it's a question of timing and scheduling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in the Olympics, the host of the Games has some leeway to, to introduce sports, either as exhibition sports or sometimes as medal sports. Um, I've got a two-part question for you. If is, is that possible in the National Games? If you host, are you, do you have influence to kind of introduce new sports? And if so, I'm going to make a pitch for Ultimate Frisbee. Hong Kong certified the Hong Kong Flying Disc Federation this year. They're getting funding from the government. They've got three full-time staff to develop the sport in Hong Kong. They're competitive at a national level. Will Hong Kong be able to to make suggestions about new sports to introduce for the next games? And could we get Ultimate Frisbee on the list? Um, the national games is different from the Olympics because in the Olympics games, um, uh, the host city they can propose uh, new events. But for the national games, it's a national event. Uh, is uh, owned by the uh, general administration of sport. So the whole city is uh, mainly is just um, you know um, um, follow the advice of the uh, of the uh, general administration of sports. So as I said uh, earlier, uh, the national games follow the Olympic games. So basically, um, you you have like thirty four events in the Olympic games. Then you have the same number of events in the national games. No more and no less, except mm. wushu, because wushu is a traditional Chinese sport uh, that has been in the national games for a long time. So, mm. other than that, there's little leeway to add uh, new sports event in the national games. Okay, so you, you would have to lobby for them between now and then to see if you could get it introduced, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, actually, as I said, the format is more or less uh, uh, set for the national games. The number mm. of events, everything will be discussed. Uh, with the uh, Guangdong and Macau, and also the National Administration of Sport. Okay, we're just we're just trying to figure out if we can angle to get some more medals for Hong Kong. You know, get a couple <laughs> of get a couple of sports that we know we're strong in at a, at a national level. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so, d- are we going to be having a call for volunteers in Hong Kong to get out to support the national games? It, it, does it work like that, or is it uh, is it does it just rely on paid staff, or are we going to have a you know, a couple of years from now, is there going to be a call from the government to get people to volunteer to support the hosting of the games in 2025? Well, for 2025, definitely we, uh, we need volunteers, uh, as in many uh, major sports events uh, uh, held in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have our own officials, we have uh, the national sports uh, associations, they have um, uh, referees, uh, officials, etc. But at the same time, we need a large number of volunteers, just like... Uh, in 2008, we have the um, uh, equestrian events for the Beijing Olympics, mm-hmm. and then in 2009, we have the East Asian Games. And every time we have, uh, we need large number of volunteers. So from now to 2025, uh, we will need to recruit uh, uh, more volunteers to help help, uh, help us uh, organize the national games. 
Okay. Okay, Mr. Young. Well, I know you're busy. You you've, uh, have to go. Um, thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. That's uh, Young Tak Kung, the Commissioner of Sports. Thanks. Um, and uh, before we end the programme this morning, um, uh, a couple more messages from listeners. Uh, on our Facebook, uh, TC writes, uh, the level of public interest in the national games is a good litmus test on whether the proverbial heat in Hong Kong lasts more than three minutes. Although, to be fair, there's generally greater interest in the Olympics than major sporting events like uh, world championships or respective national games. The reason is that for a handful of professional sports like uh, tennis, football and basketball, the Olympics is the event where the best in the world competes. Um, Bowen writes uh, on relating to our earlier topic about uh, retirement age. Um, a dear Backchat, from what has been pointed out on this and other episodes of Backchat, it seems quite clear that inadequate funding to improve facilities and working conditions has plagued not just doctors but also nurses in public hospitals. That seems to have been the major factor for the perpetual shortage of health workers in the public health sector. Extending the retirement age from 60 to 65 will be welcome, of course, though only a minority of workers will take advantage of that, as less than one-third of nurses and only 10 to 20 percent of doctors work to retirement age. These are the only ones who may stay on for five more years. That won't help a great deal. So judging from what a guest said and what Dr David Fang also said a couple of weeks ago, the crux of the issue for shortage of staff, which was said to justify the latest amendment to the scheme, admitting overseas non-resident doctors is the lack of adequate investment in our own medical sector to lure existing workers to stay. If medical facilities are increased and improved, there may be no need to extend the intake of specialists to include non-residents, the better of whom are unlikely to want to migrate here anyway. Uh, that from Bowen. Well, um, thank you very much uh, to our listeners and to our guests this morning. Um, before we go to the news summary and uh, back chat, um, uh, back chat, we are back chat. We are morning, back chat. Yeah. Thanks yeah. very much to you, Andrew, as well. Hey, always yeah, a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, uh, let's have a quick look at the weather. It's going to be uh, mainly cloudy, uh, hot with sunny periods during the day. Top temperature will be around 32 degrees. Isolated showers and thunderstorms later. Moderate westerly winds. The outlook hot with sunny periods and isolated showers in the next couple of days. It's currently 29 degrees, humidity 80%. Over the past two years, Hong Kong faced severe challenges. Facts have proved that with the support of the central government, Hong Kong can withstand any test and the whole community fights against the epidemic together. It's time now for Hong Kong to forge ahead with renewed perseverance. The 2021 Policy Address Public Consultation. Your views are welcome. For details, please visit www.policyaddress.gov.hk. Now the new summary with Todd Harding. A doctor says it's still worthwhile for teenagers to get one BioNTech jab as this offers broader community protection against the coronavirus. Leung Ting Fun, the vice president of the Hong Kong College of Pediatricians, was commenting after an expert panel advised the government that adolescents should only get one jab because more than 30 had suffered heart inflammation as a side effect. The Chinese embassy in Washington has condemned a new security pact announced by the United States, Britain and Australia, saying they should shake off their Cold War mentality and ideological prejudice. 
Mainland officials say two people were killed and dozens injured when a shallow earthquake struck southwestern China early this morning, around 120 kilometers southwest of Chongqing. And the first space mission crewed entirely by civilians has reached orbit after taking off from Cape Canaveral in Florida. The four amateur astronauts launched into orbit on a SpaceX rocket. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. 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 Not too bad at all. Good morning. Even the Good morning. Hello. You never Good morning to you and welcome to Thursday. It's the Morning Brew with me, Fear Fair Phil Whelan. We're going to begin today with a game that is designed to make Hong Kong's queue more bearable and meaningful for families and friends. So naturally, it's called Queue. Cool story, though. Teenage brothers Alex and Gabriel, we guess, uh, adapted a Spanish psychotherapy exercise and turned it into a cool new Hong Kong-style card game that requires honesty, conversation and a lot of eye contact. They're in pretty good company, though, because the forerunner of Monopoly, which was invented in 1903, was just an economics teaching tool as well. So very good luck to these guys. We're going to chat at ten past ten. Dr. Dave the Vet with me after 11 to answer your questions. And today, on the back of a question two weeks ago, discuss whether our pets regard us as one of them or merely the bed and breakfast janitor. Email your questions, morningbrew at rthk.hk or pop something on our Morning Brew Facebook page. <laughs> 